Um, well, it's not very long ago uh, that we were all um, quite used to seeing this site. You remember this one, um, the blue tick. Um, as businesses opened up, uh, we all registered to share what we were doing to be COVID safe. Uh, and that was the key message, wasn't it? We have a safety plan and we are committed to keeping you safe. Um, we did that here at St Aidan's and that was a good thing to do because we value safety, don't we? Uh, we want to be safe. Uh, we want to keep one another safe. Um, but it raises the question, I think, wh- where is it that we can find true safety in this world? Um, where can we find safety that will last? Um, because if it's not COVID that threatens our safety, then there are a whole host of other candidates looking to step into that spot, um, whether it's a disaster or a diagnosis or some danger, there are constant threats to our safety. And the reason why is because, as we've heard uh, in the last couple of weeks in the opening chapters of Genesis, uh, it's because our world is not as it was meant to be. It's because our world has been corrupted and we now live in a world under sin where the fear of death hangs over us. So how can we have safety in a world like this? Um, Where is it that we can take refuge and be truly safe? Well, that's what we're going to consider today as we uh, continue in the book of Genesis and as we come to this very famous story today about Noah and the ark. Now, of course, it's a story that we've all heard. Um, It's a story that's in every kid's Bible. Um, And there's no end, you know, of bright and colourful kids' toys or wall posters that you can get to remember the animals going into the ark two by two. Um, Even here in Wagga, you know, the biggest, best play centre in Wagga on the way into town is uh, Noah's Ark, and it's full of fun games and full of pictures of happy, smiling animals. Um, But really, that is a very sanitised version of this story. Uh, Because as we'll see today, the real picture is probably not one that you'd stick up on a poster on your kid's bedroom wall. Um, We're confronted here, I think, with some unpopular and uncomfortable truths. Uh, We're given, really, a window into the the darkness of the human heart. Uh, We're shown a picture of the judgment of God on sin. Um, But also, in God's mercy, we are pointed to the one who brings grace and salvation and the only one who provides true safety in our world. Um, So as we look at the story of Noah and the ark today, we'll see, I think, three scenes which kind of each have a counterpoint embedded in them. Firstly, we'll see the corruption of human nature, but also the initiative of God's grace. Uh, Second, we'll see the judgment of God on sin, but also the provision of God for humanity to be saved. And finally, we'll see a new beginning as Noah and his family emerge from the ark, but we'll see how that new beginning comes at a cost. So first of all today, I want to just kind of look over the chapters we're jumping over, um, because in the lead up to this story of Noah and the ark is how we really see how human nature has continued to be corrupted by sin. Last week we looked at Genesis 3, which told us of Adam and Eve's uh, fall into sin in the garden, and that brought about alienation and disharmony and shame and death. 
And, and while we saw the promise of God to one day undo the effects of the fall, the chapter ended with humanity uh, banished from the garden uh, to now live in a world under sin. And then what happens through chapters 4 and 5 is that sin continues to grow and to spread. And so I think on the one hand we see the amazing potential of humanity as uh, those who are made in the image of God, they seek to worship him. That's what Cain and Abel are doing as they offer a sacrifice to God. But then if you look in the second half of chapter 4, we see also the um, development of culture and technology as they uh, build cities and raise livestock and they develop musical instruments. And, and all of this creativity is really a mirror or image of the creativity of God. But then on the other hand, we also see the potential of humanity to do great evil. And so chapter 4, uh, the first murder, as Cain kills his brother. Uh, like his parents before him, Cain gives in to temptation. He chooses evil instead of listening to God's word. And then when he's found out, well, he tries to hide and shift the blame for what he's done. And so outside of the garden now, humanity really has this mixed nature. Uh, we're those made in the image of God and so capable of many good and amazing uh, things as we reflect God's image and likeness. But we're also born sinners and so capable of great evil. And it's really the progression of sin as it spreads and grows that I think is the dominant focus in chapter 4. So we're told there of Lamech, Cain's descendant, who uh, murders a man because he wounded him. And then he boasts about it there in that song. Uh, he boasts about it to his two wives. Um, we're a fair way from the garden, aren't we? Then we're told uh, through chapter 5, just to look over chapter 5, the genealogy uh, from Adam to Noah. And as you read it, I think again you notice the blessing of God as humanity is fruitful and increases in number. But then you also notice this constant refrain through the genealogy, and then he died. And this is the pattern. This person is born, has children, lives so long, and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And so we see this double-sided nature to humanity, created in God's image, but also fallen and corrupted by sin, uh, blessed by God, but also living under the curse where the wages of sin is death. And that is still true of humanity today, isn't it? Capable of great achievements, great acts of kindness and goodness, but also capable of great evil. And I think noticing that might challenge how many of us might think about humanity. Um, certainly in the early parts of the last century, the prevailing thought was that humanity is getting better and better, that we're progressing. You know, there's huge advances made in technology and medicine and education. Um, but it's also the 20th century which you might know, holds the record for the most lethal wars in all of human history. Somewhere between 70 to 85 million people killed just in World War II alone. Are we progressing? Um, is humanity on an upward curve of improvement? 
Um, we like to think, and we hear this everywhere, don't we, that people are basically good. But the reality of the human heart is that it is turned away from God and so is not good but evil. It is corrupt. And uh, we're actually told that twice in our chapters today. So the first time you see that is in verse 5 of chapter 6. It says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Um, a little bit later, if you turn over to chapter 8 and verse 21, this is now as they've come out of the ark, uh, but it reiterates the same thing. It says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Now, they are verses or sentiments that I have never seen on a mug or a T-shirt in the Kuron catalogue. You know, it's not how we like to think about ourselves, is it? And I think what's being said here, it's not that your neighbour across the street is incapable of doing anything good. Now, as we saw before, all people are made in the image of God and capable of reflecting his goodness. But what's being talked about here is this is about the orientation of our hearts. And last week we saw a definition of good and evil. We saw that good is to listen to God's word and to obey him, to trust in him and to rest in his provision and what he has given us. But evil is to turn away from God, to ignore his word and his rule over our lives to put ourselves in the place of God and to define our own meaning and destiny without him. And so it's not that humanity is incapable of doing good works, it's that the orientation of our heart is fundamentally turned away from God. Adam and Eve turned away in the garden and east of Eden, humanity has continued on that same path. And so this is the world that Noah is born into. And that is the nature that Noah and everyone else is born with. Um, So Noah, we meet here. Um, We actually meet, uh, if you look in verse 28 of chapter 5 or 29, uh, Lamech had a son. He named him Noah. And he said, He will comfort us in the labour and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Fairly high expectations on this baby Noah. That's what his name means. It means comfort or rest. Will he be the one to bring comfort and rest to humanity? Well, um... What we see, though, is that Noah is, uh, is born into this world. Uh, he's born with a sinful nature, uh, just like everyone else around him. But there is something about Noah that we're told which is not like everyone else. Um, but it's not something that comes from inside him. It's something that God gives him, and that is grace. So uh, verse 6 of chapter 6, <clears throat> let me read from there. 
Uh, it says, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. So I've just been told about humanity's heart. Here in those verses we're told something of God's heart. Uh, Our heart is to rebel against God and to ignore him. God's heart is like that of a grieved parent. We're also told of God's justice. His justice is that he will bring judgment. Like in Genesis 3, uh, sin cannot be ignored. But also like we saw in Eden, judgment is not God's last word to his people. His last word is grace. Verse 8, but Noah found favour or grace with the Lord. Or perhaps another way to put it is that grace found Noah. And as we read it, uh, it, we shouldn't think that God is, you know, looking around to find the one person who seeks after him and therefore grants him favour. No, grace here we see comes first. Noah doesn't earn favour from God. God pours out his favour on Noah. It's not based on Noah's goodness. It's based on God's choice, God's grace. And so here really is the hope for humanity. In a world corrupted and fallen into sin, the hope is that God, grieved though he is by our fallen nature, that he is a God who is merciful and he shows favour. He gives grace to sinners. Um, In the New Testament, uh, Paul puts it like this. He says, because of God's great love for us, He who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So we have here uh, this picture of corrupt and sinful humanity. We have a, a declaration from God that he will wipe humanity off the earth. But we also have this announcement of grace which gives us hope. And that uh, really brings us then to the famous part of the story, to Noah and the flood. Um, And as we pick it up from verse 9 of chapter 6, we see how the grace of God also shapes and transforms who Noah is so that humanity will be saved through him. So now we're introduced to Noah like this in verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And I think this is what we see here is that this is the impact that grace has on our lives. Um, Being described as righteous and blameless doesn't mean that Noah never sinned. And we're going to see a really big example of his failure at the end of this story. But having received grace, well, Noah then begins to live by faith in God. He walks with God. He obeys God. Uh, Through this section, four times we're told that Noah did as the Lord commanded him. Because knowing God's grace toward him starts to reorient his heart so that he wants to obey, 
so that he wants to live a life that's pleasing to God. And for Noah, I think they meant following God's instructions, even when they must have made very little sense to him. Um, So in verse 14, uh, God instructs Noah to make an ark. And he gives the details about how big to build it and to bring all of these animals into it. Um, The reason why, because verse 17, God said, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it, Everything on earth will perish. Now that must have been a pretty hard thing for Noah to believe. Noah had never seen floodwaters before. And it takes it actually takes a hundred years for Noah and his family to build the ark. Um, It doesn't actually say this in the text, but you you'd imagine that Noah probably copped a fair bit of ridicule from the people around him about building that boat. Um, I don't know if anyone see the movie Noah with Russell Crowe a few years ago. I actually enjoyed it. Um, anyway, if, if you saw the movie, uh, it kind of pictures that. You know, he's building the boat or he announces he's going to build the boat and everyone laughs at him. What are you doing, Noah? Uh, and um, But yet... Noah takes God at his word. Um, He ignores the voices of the world around him. Um, And the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. He says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. In other words, Noah believed what God told him. Uh, God's grace worked its way in and through Noah's life so that he trusted and obeyed and acted on God's word. And this is what God's grace does in our lives. His grace teaches us. Um, Teaches us to walk with God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, um, teaches us to live upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the hope that is to come. So God's grace is, uh, I think, what we see transforms Noah, but also very clearly we see that it's God's grace that is what saves Noah, what keeps him safe in the judgment. Um, Because after the ark is completed, well, what God warned about um, takes place. The flood begins. Uh, 7 verse 6, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Um, In the verses that follow, Noah and his family enter the ark. Um, Pairs of all the animals enter the ark. I won't go through all of the animals. Um, But then then water comes from everywhere. Uh, From below in the great deep, from the floodgates of the heavens above. And notice uh, the end of verse 16 then. What is it that keeps Noah and his family safe? It says, then the Lord shut him in. Um, The one heavy tar-covered door is closed shut by God. And because it was the Lord that did it, Noah knew that he would be safe. And so there they are, shut inside the boat for 40 days and 40 nights, and the flood keeps coming. And this is the part that, you know, you don't read this verse in the kids version of the bible but verse 22 
Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. Now, friends, that is a confronting picture of God's judgment. It's actually a picture of the world being uncreated. I'm not sure if that's the right prefix. But do you see that here in Genesis 1? The earth, in Genesis 1, the earth is formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God sent forth his word and his spirit. He separates the waters from the waters, separates the seas from the dry ground. And then he filled that newly formed spaces with life and with people. Well, now it's all undone. It all returns to that watery chaos. And this is God's judgment. And we might not like to talk about it, we might not like to face up to it, but well, this story of deluge and destruction in Noah's day is meant to serve as a warning in our day of the judgment that is to come. So this is what Jesus said. Uh, Jesus warned about the judgment to come. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus says there is another day coming and his warning is make sure that you are ready. Don't be like those who scoff and refuse to listen to God's warning. Instead, make sure that you are found in the one safe place on earth. Because in God's grace, there is an ark of safety. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's provision so that we can be safe in the day of judgment. Because just as the ark bore the judgment of God in the flood, well, so has Jesus borne the judgment of God for us at the cross. You see, the ark is that it's the one safe place of refuge where all who are found inside will not perish but live. Jesus is our refuge, where all who are found in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And as he endured that storm and was raised to life again, well, he now invites all people to come and to find safety in him. The door at the moment is not locked shut, it is open. And so now is the time to enter, to find true and lasting safety by trusting in Christ as our refuge. The grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus to bring salvation for all who will take refuge in him. And for those of us who have found ourselves, found that safety ourselves, well, we cannot forget that, as in Noah's day, well, there is a world around us who 
remain outside of the ark. And God's heart grieves for them. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This this is why he sends his son. This is why he now sends us to hold out the message of salvation, the promise that we have received, that all who are found in Christ will live. For God's purposes ultimately are not judgment and death, but grace and new life. And we see this as we come to the final scene in these chapters today, as the floodwaters recede and uh, life begins again outside of the ark. So in 8 verse 1, this is really the turning point, it says, uh, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So if the flood was an act of God to undo creation in judgment, well, here we see God acting to recreate and to bless the world again. Um, Again, the wind of God is sent over the earth and the waters recede into their places. And then the dry ground appears and the vegetation appears and you get to verse 15 and God says to Noah, come out of the ark and the land then again is filled with animals and life and people and the start of chapter 9 we hear the same blessings as we heard before then God blessed Noah and his son saying to them be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and so now on the other side of the flood it looks like a new creation there's new promises there's a new covenant Um, as a sign of God's grace he promises that he'll never again send a flood to destroy the world and he places the rainbow in the sky as a reminder but while we're now on the other side of the flood we need to understand that it's not a complete return to Eden because one thing that the flood couldn't wash away is the sin within our hearts and so we notice that the very first thing that Noah does as he emerges from the ark is that he builds an altar and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord. And the language used there, as it burned, it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is the language of the atoning sacrifice. And so this sacrifice points forward to the costly sacrifice that Jesus will make, the once and for all sacrifice that will pay the price for sin. Also here, God makes promises and provisions for humanity so that they can now live in this world of sin. Uh, In 8 verse 21, he promises to never again curse the ground, to never again destroy all living creatures, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And then in chapter 9, after blessing Noah and his family, God then speaks about the spilling of blood and the accounting that will be required when one person kills another. Clearly it's not Eden. It's still a world of sin, a world of violence and bloodshed. And the reality of human sinfulness is illustrated also in Noah's own life. At the end of chapter 9 where uh, Noah um, plants a vineyard. But then, I guess there's a few years have gone by because then he then makes wine from it and becomes drunk and he disgraces himself. And he lies naked. And like Adam and Eve in the garden, 
his shameful nakedness needs to be covered. And so we see Noah's story here. It's the story of a man who walked with God, who believed God, who waited for God, depended on God, um, was rescued by God. But it's also the, the story of someone who failed God and sinned against God and dishonoured God. It's not exactly the fairy tale ending that we might write uh, to Noah's story. But that's because there's only one hero in the Bible and everyone else, like us, is a sinner saved by grace. Remember, that's how Noah was introduced to us at the beginning. Noah found favour. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this grace from the Lord came to him not as a gift. It didn't come as a reward. Sorry, came as a gift. It didn't come as a reward for his good behaviour. But neither does he here lose it because of his bad behaviour. And this is the good news of God's grace that we need to take hold of. That it is by grace that we are saved. And this not from ourselves. See, Noah's name, it meant comfort or rest. Uh, but he didn't bring that in his generation. He would be the second Noah. He would be the better Noah that ultimately would bring comfort and rest. The gospel is that it is the grace of God that rescues us. It is the grace of God that makes us safe. It's by the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that our sins have been paid for in the past, in the present, in the future. Because God in his covenant has bound himself to us and it's by the word of his grace that he now invites us and teaches us how to walk with him. As uh, John Newton famously put it, it's grace has brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. So let me, let me pray for us as we um, give thanks to God for his kindness toward us. Our Father God, as we do reflect today on this um, part of your word that teaches us so much about ourselves and our own fallen nature and sinfulness, but also so much about you and your holiness and your justice, and Father, we are so thankful for your mercy and your grace toward us. We thank you for the promise that we are safe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved, uh, protected and sustained each day as we live in and by his grace. And so we give you thanks in his name. Amen.